Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, Lawyers. When I grow up, I want to be a lawyer just like you. Good for you, son. If there's one thing America needs, it's more lawyers. One thing you hear a lot about on movies and in TV shows is lawyers doing pro bono work. Pro bono is Latin. It means without charge. And it's pretty simple. In concept, you provide free or substantially discounted legal services to someone who couldn't otherwise afford them. The thing is, in New Zealand, if you're a lawyer and you want to do pro bono work, there are some pretty tight restrictions. Only self-employed lawyers, that's barristers and partners in law firms, can take on any work they please. If you're an employed lawyer at a law firm or as an in-house lawyer, you can only do pro bono work through a community law centre or a citizen's advice bureau or if your firm decides to take on the case. And this means thousands of lawyers who might like to do pro bono work, more than half the workforce actually, are either limited in what they can do or shut out altogether. So how do you square those restrictions with all this flowery rhetoric we hear about how important it is that everybody has access to justice? Today on the podcast, we're talking about the curious case of a bill that went before the Justice Select Committee earlier this year that might have helped in this area, but was voted down for somewhat mysterious reasons. Darren Aitchison is a lawyer and director of Teara Ture, New Zealand's first pro bono clearinghouse, which opened late last year. Uh, a clearinghouse basically is a matching service. So we uh, receive legal applications, applications for legal support from members of the public, or in our case, um, from community law centres. And what we do is we we try and find lawyers who are prepared to do uh, the legal work that's required Um, pro bono, which is either for free or in some cases at heavily reduced rates. So yeah, basically it's a bit like a matchmaking service, I guess, Um, and we we just sit in the the middle and and make those matches and really are that bridge between, I guess, the demand for legal services and the lawyers who are willing to provide legal services for free. And that's really important because um, there's actually a lot of lawyers willing to do this sort of work but they often aren't where, uh, they're not located in communities and and aren't easily accessible to people who have the legal problems. So you're like Tinder, in a sense. We are like Tinder, yep. Legal (laughs) Tinder. Excuse the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. What does pro bono mean? My understanding is a bit limited, but I understand it basically means the public good. You know, so legal services for the public good. Uh, that's its, its genesis. But really where it links to is the rule of law and the fundamental duty, in my view, of lawyers to uphold the rule of law. What that really says is, is where, you, where you see that the rule of law is not being upheld in some way, a lawyer should move towards that and, and try and resolve that in some way. And, and that's really the kind of... It's quite idealistic, but it's the, it's the constitutional role of lawyers, I guess, um, and actually making sure the justice system works properly. And one of the issues about the rule of law is that it, it talks about equality of access to the law um, and equality before the law and equality of access to remedies. But one of the things we see, particularly in community law centres, but it's, it's there in research, is that there is not equality before the law. 
people who experience um, social and economic disadvantage will have much much worse legal outcomes than, than people who um, aren't experiencing that disadvantage. They're much more likely to have legal problems. The effect of those legal problems are going to be much more severe. And they're also uh, much less able to actually get remedies. So really, pro bono has become internationally um, more aligned with legal work which targets socioeconomic disadvantage. Um, an example of that sort of playing out in real life is, is in the employment jurisdiction. So when a person on low income, for example, is unfairly dismissed, what that leads to is obviously a loss of income pretty quickly, uh, often leads to more debt being incurred. Um, it becomes harder to find the next job because you've got to say why you lost your first, your previous one. Um, but it often ends up in you know, family stress, um, and in some cases it actually leads to family breakdown, homelessness, insolvency. You know, that's at the real sharp edge of it. But the starting point for that person is that, is that they do have a legal remedy available. They were unfairly dismissed. Mm. But it's, it's just uneconomic for those people to actually obtain remedies. And, you know, in setting up Te Aratere, we've done some research into that. What we've discovered is that, you know, basically the bottom half in terms of income of New Zealanders will have less than five grand in the bank. And, and that's not enough to actually pay an employment specialist to help you at mediation. Um, you'll blow that before you even get a conclusion through the mediation. So it's a risk that families just can't take. And so the, the reality is that there's actually, um, you know, those people just aren't getting the remedies that they are entitled to. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that what legal aid is for? And that's a good point. But the thing is, you have to meet certain income and asset thresholds to qualify for legal aid, and these are really stringent. If you're single, you can't earn more than $23,000 a year or you won't qualify. That means a single person working full-time on the minimum wage earns nearly $17,000 more than that threshold. If you're single and you have assets worth more than $3,500, you won't qualify. If you're a superannuitant, you won't qualify. According to a series by RNZ's Farrar Hancock, back in 2007, nearly one in three people qualified for legal aid. In 2021, it was fewer than one in ten. There's a whole bunch of people that aren't eligible for legal aid because they earn too much. There's no way that they can actually stretch the family dollar to pay for a lawyer and, and seek remedies that the law says they're entitled to. Um, it's just impossible for them. Um, but it's worse than that because the legal aid levels are, are so low and there's, you know, I think this is well documented that there's just not many people doing legal aid work. So even if you do qualify for legal aid, you spend, you know, days as a community lawyer ringing around trying to find someone to do the, do the case and, and no one will do it. Um, there's just so few people out there doing it. It's not just about economic difficulties and actually briefing lawyers. You know, there's a whole legal capability, your ability to um, actually get to a lawyer, pay for a lawyer, instruct a lawyer. That's not just about money. It's also about, you know, whether someone has a disability, uh, whether there are language barriers, uh, whether somebody's experienced persecution previously. Um, there's a whole lot of psychological reasons why people aren't ready to engage with lawyers. Um, so there's a whole lot of, it's a much deeper concept, I guess, socioeconomic 
disadvantaged mm. than just economic disadvantage, just low income, although that's a big part of it. Who is allowed to do legal work for you? So the current um, regulations basically says that a lawyer who is qualified to practice on their own account can um, do pro bono legal work. So a lawyer who's qualified to practice on their own account will be a partner in a law firm or they will be a barrister who has set up in their own chambers, essentially, and is working independently. So those people who are qualified to practice on their own account, they will have done at least three years legal practice. They will have then um, done a a course, which is a a four-week course run by the Law Society. Then they would have um, put a business case together and they would have attended an interview, which includes tests on ethics and handling client money and all these sorts of things. And... Once they'd passed all of those um, steps, then they would be eligible to practice on their own account. So, you know, it's probably four years of kind of work plus a whole lot of um, professional development before you're at a point where you can qualify to practice on your own account and start doing pro bono work. And that, I'm making the assumption, is not most lawyers. So you have a relatively shallow pool to to sort of draw on from, from day one. That's right. So we've, I mean, the, the figures that we've got are basically about 40% of the of the profession are lawyers practising on their own account. So that, that includes sole practitioners, um, partners of bigger firms and barristers. The other 60% or so are either in-house lawyers working in not a law practice, but, you know, for a company or something like that, or their employees of the aforementioned, the, the firms, the barristers, um, or the sole practitioners. Mm-hmm. About 8,000 lawyers of the 12,000 can't work with us. And so they actually, they can't? Like they are legislatively prohibited from doing pro bono work? They're legislatively prohibited from doing from providing legal services. So that is, yeah, basically working on cases. What they can do for community law centres or Te Aratura or other members of the public is they can do education. Um, they can help develop re- you know, resources, things like that, um, information pamphlets, PowerPoint slides, all that sort of stuff. So there are things that law centres and, and other agencies can work with those lawyers on, but they can't provide legal services in the sense of actually providing legal services and doing legal work. Is that like a form of quality control, I guess, making sure that people who are providing pro bono legal services are of a certain standard of competence? Is that the just... Like, I'm, I'm presuming that because this is a try under the law, there is a reason behind it. Yeah, so so it's, so it's the idea is that to to safeguard the public and to safeguard the, the, the reputation of the profession, you need a certain level of experience and you need to demonstrate to the regulator that, that you're um, an, an appropriate person to be taking on legal work essentially independently. Um, so that's so so basically that that's the standard that applies to all lawyers. So the Lawyers and Conveyancing Act just covers all lawyers. It doesn't differentiate between whether you're doing the work for free or, or charging. So to work independently, which is to practice on your own account, you need to have gone through those steps. Um, once you can practice on your own account, you can you can charge for legal work or you can do it for free. It's up to you. Um, but you have to go through those quality assurance steps first. I was actually on holiday in Mexico, of all places, and I was reading the New Zealand Law Society Law Talk magazine, just like the internal journal of the law 
lawyers in, in New Zealand. Chris Bishop is a national MP who had a bill which would liberalise pro bono work drawn from the members' ballot in 2020. And there was this article um, in it by a guy called John McLean, who at the time was general counsel, or basically the head lawyer for Rabobank. And the, and the letter basically, or, or article basically said, um, you know, the, the Law Society is stymieing uh, the ability of employed lawyers to do pro bono legal work. And, you know, um, other countries have loosened these restrictions, and I think New Zealand should too. And I thought, well, that's actually a pretty good idea for a member's bill. And, you know, I, I at, at the time, we were in opposition, and, you know, I was about four and a half, five years into my career as an MP. And one of the things I've tried to do in my time as an MP is try and improve the law, even in small ways, if you can. Like, a lot of people don't know that member's bills are really, you know, really effective ways of improving the law. And people sort of know about like marriage equality and um, abortion and things like that. Like, those are the big things. They're the ones that get all the public attention. But members' mm-hmm. bills are a way of, you know, really making, you know, small but cool improvements to the law. Like, in my first term, I had a bill to um, allow for people to have compensation for donating their live organs. So, Matt's grandparents went to Chris Bishop, Chris Bishop went to Parliament, and Parliament, well, last night, it agreed. It passed unanimously, so um, it went through unanimously through all the stages, actually. I think everyone could see the uh, the logic and the merit in it, um, and uh, we tidied it up at select committee and proved it, actually. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it passed its third reading uh, yesterday. That was pretty satisfying. So, yeah, I've just tried to improve the law um, where, where I can and make a difference, and this seemed like a bit of a no-brainer to me. And so I got in touch with John McLean, and we drafted it up and chucked it on the ballot. And then, um, as these things do, it sat there for a while, and then it got pulled, I think, I think within about a year, actually. And yeah, made its way into the you know into the parliamentary process. I wonder whether you can, using a minimum of legalese, explain the problem here. How, how does New Zealand's legislation around pro bono legal work actually look at the moment, and why is it a problem? Probably the best way of explaining it is through example. So, if you're a lawyer who works for, um, I don't know, a government department, for example, um, you are guilty of misconduct if you do um, legal work for your local tramping club or you um, are an employed lawyer for uh, you know, a corporate, say, Contact Energy, uh, and you are also the secretary of you know, um, in a local incorporated society, you know, the local residents association, for example, and you do legal work for them, um, you are technically, um, at the moment, guilty of misconduct if you do that. Now, obviously, the law is breached all the time, right, because there are lawyers out there doing you know, legal work outside of their employment all the time. The only thing that you can do currently, legally, is do work for uh, Citizens Advice Bureau or Community Law. Um, And what my bill would have done is say that employed lawyers could do free legal work other than their current employer with the permission of their employer, basically. Okay, but so like, why why should people care? Why is there a broad like? Why, why does this have broad implications? Because I, I can hear people listening to that explanation saying, "Well, if your tramping club needs some legal work done, just fork out a couple of hundred bucks and hire a lawyer for a couple of hours." You know, yeah, a couple a couple of hundred bucks might be uh, on the cheap side, but yeah, I, I take your point. <laughs> but the key point is that we have a massive access to justice issue um, in New Zealand, and that ranges from yeah, your local tramping club, residents association. Um, who might need some legal work done. Uh, but also, uh, you know, there's a large amount of pro bono legal need um, out there for people who just literally can't afford uh, lawyers um, for a range of different things. Um, and, uh, you know, community law do a fantastic job, uh, but, you know, there is definitely an unmet legal need. And, that, and that's what the, 
when the bill got sent to a committee, that's what we heard from a number of different submitters, is that there's a huge unmet legal need out there. Here's the former Labour MP, Sue Moroni, who now works as Chief Executive of Community Law Aotearoa, which runs 24 community law centres around the country. We're supporting this bill because we think it's an important discussion to have. Um, There is a lot of unmet legal need. There is huge amounts of unmet legal need, as you've heard this morning. Um, You've heard some really good examples of that. Uh, And we don't have all of the resources within our our system, which incorporates community law, which incorporates legal aid, uh, which incorporates um, private lawyers. There is not enough capacity to deal with the unmet legal need out there, particularly for people who can't afford to pay a private lawyer. The bill basically would be a small but sensible step, I think, to improve access to justice. It would make it easier for people to get access to pro bono legal work. The bill got unanimous support at its first reading and received submissions from the public, the majority of them supportive. But there were criticisms, probably the most stringent from the Law Society, which wanted a tighter definition of pro bono, which would strictly focus on unmet legal need, a view shared by Community Law Aotearoa. The Society was also worried about the quality controls that we talked about before. It foresaw situations where junior lawyers might offer shoddy advice and not be protected by indemnity insurance, reservations which were echoed by the Labour MP Duncan Webb, who used to be a law professor. The bill envisioned the Law Society taking a screening role, whereby it would approve lawyers who wanted to do more pro bono work, among other remedies, but this would require extra funding for the organisation, which wasn't covered in the bill. There were a bunch of other critiques too, including a wide range from Te Tua, the clearinghouse headed up by Darren Aitchison, and which would, again, require some extra funding. But just about every submitter agreed this was a change which would address a real shortcoming in access to justice. While the bill itself was maybe a bit light on detail to go ahead unchecked, amendments could iron out some of those wrinkles. And Bishop himself embraced amendments to the bill. One of the things that I said to the committee was we should amend the bill so that the Law Society is required to make rules for employed lawyers providing legal, free legal services rather than leaving it optional. So um, make the Law Society be obliged to make the rules and then the committee could also, or the bill, the Act, could also direct what the Law Society should look at as part of those rules. So, for example, you could make the Law Society look at an appropriate level of professional experience and limits on practice areas, for example. So I don't think any of the problems are insurmountable. I think they're interesting points. And I put forward those some of those amendments, as I've just said, and unfortunately the committee didn't want to take them um, any further. The bill failed to pass its second reading. While some amendments were proposed, the Justice Select Committee said further policy work would be needed to identify the scope of the problem and the best methods to move ahead. And maybe that's the case. Maybe it wasn't a good bill. It wasn't the right bill at the right time. But many lawyers, including the barrister Graham Edgler, were disappointed. He said it was a regrettable example of making the perfect the enemy of the good. I put that critique to Darren Aitchison. That may well be the case. Um, I mean, what we were suggesting, look, there's no doubt about it, we're we're disappointed that our suggestions, and we offered a a range of them, we're disappointed they weren't picked up and the amendments weren't made. Um, I think part of the issue, though, was that given that this was a member's bill, 
it probably was a bit undercooked when it came up. If it had been a government bill, it may well have had a lot more policy work in behind it. Um, so that that may have led to a different outcome. Um, but the fact that, it, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was, it was certainly not right to pass as it was. Um, so I think it did need some extra work. Um, but yeah, I can't speak to why it didn't go ahead other than to say that, you know, it is a missed opportunity and it was, um, you know, we were disappointed that, that those amendments that we suggested weren't picked up um, or at least weren't kicked ahead for further policy work. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Darren Aitchison and Chris Bishop. Matewa. Matewa.